Amen. And you may have a seat as we come to this seventh week in generosity. And we said in the beginning that we would take our time going through this series, understanding what it means to have generosity and to be a, a generous church, to be generous members of the church. And so if you're taking notes today, you can just entitle it the fairness in our generosity, the fairness in our generosity, because sometimes we can ask the question, is it fair that we're the ones that have to give, you know, and God impresses upon our heart what we need to give. And so when you read through this passage, I just want to bring you up to speed a little bit that there was a church that was struggling in Jerusalem. This church needed financial aid, needed support, and the Corinthians were called upon to initiate this giving. And they started well, and then they needed to be encouraged to finish strong. And, and we looked at that just recently. And there was a, a small church in, in Macedonia. Of, we say a small church, but, but a people that were broke. I mean, they didn't have much money to give. And in, in fact, when we break that word down, they were flat broke. And so they gave according to what they had, and then they gave more than that. So we're not instructed of how much they gave. That's not the focus of the amount that they gave, but it's their heart. And so as God always does in Scripture, and when Jesus came and He lived in the flesh just like us, but He was perfect in all areas of life, Jesus looks straight to the heart. And so when Paul is writing, he wants us to see straight to the heart of the Macedonians and that they were to give what they had and beyond what they had. And so Paul uses the Macedonians as an example for the Corinthians. And he's saying, hey, follow their example and you too should give generously. And so as we read through those 15 verses, and, and next week the, the reading won't be quite so long, we'll, we'll go to verse 16 and kind of start that part of the passage. But you can just look back over all that we've covered. And when we talk about fairness, if we ask that question, is it, is it fair that I have to give? Should I be expected to give to others? Why not just hold things for myself? I mean, why don't we just all take care of our, ourselves? I mean, I work hard. You know, I earn everything that I have. And, and we, can, we can ask ourselves these questions and contemplate these things in our hearts. And in the local church, we can say, do I really need to, to give an offering? I mean, after all, I mean, I give to charities and, and I give to people on the side of the street, those who, who have needs. I mean... That, that's my kind of giving, but yet I think we, we see an encouragement here that we would be faithful to be generous as the church. And so as we're breaking this down today, understand that Paul is relating one church to another, but also understand that the church didn't look like this in the first century, okay? The church could exist without a building, which makes us ask the question, if we didn't have this building, would we still gather together to worship with the same joy and excitement because we are the building. We are the temple in which the Holy Spirit resides within us. And so the church is made up of body parts, of members. And so as we look at the church working together to give, we must also look at each individual member. Are they a part of this generosity as well? So the fairness in generosity, and that's where we are. And look back with me in verse 13. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Our generosity is not meant to crush us, but to set us free. 
So if you view generosity as something of a burden, then you do need to look into the heart today. And you need to measure according to the word because our generosity, when we give, is not meant to crush us, to defeat us, to to bring us pain, to bring us discomfort. That's not what Paul is driving at here, but to set us free. He says, for I do not mean... So, So Paul does not want them to mistake this when he's encouraging the Corinthians to give. He doesn't want them to think that, hey, from this point forward, you will always be responsible for taking care of the church in Jerusalem. They will always glean from you. Not as much as expected of them as it is for you. This is not what Paul wants them to gather from this encouragement. But at this point in time where they are, Paul knows that they have more wealth than the church in Jerusalem and that it's important for them to come to aid at this present time. So he said it's not to to burden you and to ease them to where they say, oh man, this is good. We like this. We like that there's another local church that's taking care of us all of the time. We see that as a big problem in the world, really, in, in our country, of many people who rely on something coming into them, but nothing expected of them. It's that they exist for others to take care of them. That's dangerous. For a short time, maybe that can be healthy to get somebody back on their feet or to help support someone that they too can go out and strive and have a purpose, but to just sit and exist and receive. That's not what it should be all about. And Paul is saying to the church, look, that's not what we're encouraging you to do. No, you give to help support, to to build up, not for a burden and not just so that they can be eased. This word burden, when you break it down, it means to be crushed, to be squeezed. It means tribulation. And this is exactly what's going on with the church in Jerusalem at the present time when Paul is writing these things. And he's saying it's not for you to give so that you too will be crushed and squeezed so that you will be defeated. And this is not a method to bring one to poverty. Some believe that as Christians, if you really want to be holy, then you need to be flat broke. That you don't need to possess anything. That you need to sell all things, give all things away at all times. But that's not what Paul is driving at here. He's saying it's not for you to now become poor. And Paul is not saying that poverty equals holiness either. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in in good situations, good financial situations. And other people who may not be in such good financial situations can can look upon us or look upon one another and say, well, yeah, you, you know, they do all that money, right? But they may be very faithful in giving in all areas that they need to give in. And the one who is in poverty may be very faithful to being stingy unto oneself. So one's position of whether they have money or or do not have money does not equal holiness. Again, we look to the heart. And so for those who are poor, they would receive from those who have more than them. And it should be something of a, a blessing to give and to receive from the church. This generosity you know, in order for us to understand this church, you know, it's like just a minute ago when Kara was baptized. I don't know. Did anybody catch the look on her face when she came back out of the water? Did anybody catch that? Raise your hand if you saw that. Yeah, I did too. I thought, wow. I was like, if we could just 
capture that. And it's here, okay? I hope it stays there. But just capture that look. That was it, y'all. That was it. That, that look on her face when she came up out of the water and this huge smile, I'm thinking, that's the freedom. That's the look of freedom right there, of coming up, being buried in death, okay? Buried in Christ and raised to walk as a new creation It ought to be seen on our faces and in our lives that we are free. And that's the look that she showed coming up out of those waters. A beautiful, beautiful picture today. And then as we continue to sing, Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. I don't know when singing that for you, if you were like, man, amen, that is it. Christ, you are enough. All else fails, Christ is enough. Or maybe you were singing that song and you were like, yeah, Christ, yeah, Christ is enough. But, I mean, is there a hesitancy there with Christ being enough in your life? And so for the Corinthians, if Christ is enough, is, if there is this freedom that Paul also later writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 5, 1, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, so that we don't take this out of context, he's talking about circumcision. He's talking about the law. Why would you want to go back under the law when you have been set free? We have been set free because when Christ died for us on the cross and he shed his blood, his blood covers us. And as his blood covers us, we have this positional righteousness before God. So when God looks at us, God doesn't see race. God doesn't see male and female. What God sees It's his son's blood covering us. That is such a beautiful picture of redemption and the church coming together as one and having equality because of the blood of Jesus. And as we have the blood of Jesus covering us, we are also filled with the Holy Spirit. That means God's presence lives in us as Christians. That's what separates us from those who are not in Christ We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit leads us to not gratify our sinful nature, which held us in bondage. But when we are set free from that through the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit leads us to obedience. This is freedom. So when we want to give, but we feel this tug in our hearts like, I can't give because if I give, then I'm not going to have these other Things, then you need to evaluate are these other things holding you captive? Are you a prisoner to your things? Because if in your heart you're saying Christ is enough, then we won't hold on to these things first, but we'll say, God, whatever your will is, you lead me by the power of the Holy Spirit to give. May I practice generosity. This must be the heart of the Corinthians as they give so that they don't see it as a burden, but they see it as a great joy that they would be set free. So our generosity is not meant to crush us, but to set us free. Second thing is our generosity encourages equality among the church. That is something that's so important for every person in this room to understand the equality that we possess in Christ. It is not male over female. It is not one race over another race. Hear this one clearly. It's not one nation over another nation. There is equality among 
the church. And there is equality when there's, you're looking at the Corinthians and you're looking at the church in Jerusalem and you're looking at the church in Macedonia. So we see in verses 13 and 14, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So here it is. Paul is going to explain for us fairness and what fairness looks like at this point as he is writing. Fairness is equality. It's equality. It's parity and unity that exists among believers. So when you come into this room, a local church of believers, there's a parity among us. You may hear that word parity in something like college football where you say, man, there are a lot of teams that are good at this point in time. And, and whether you like that or you don't, it makes good for, for watching and, and for entertainment. But the parity we're talking about is something that draws us close together. Something we have in common. As you often hear me say, we have Jesus in common. That's why we gather together because of Jesus And this brings us together in unity. And so when we have something that we can give to others, we give. And as those people receive, it is to help them to strive, to increase, to become better. Okay, in the fact of maybe getting back on their feet financially. That they may be in a position one day to come back and and, and not not return the favor. Understand that. Be very careful that we don't go there to say, oh, that we could return the favor. Oh, you owe me. Remember, I gave to you. No, that's not, that's not the heart of love. That's not the heart that Paul is talking about in which we give. But yet those who find themselves at once that didn't have anything, that now they find themselves with something to give, that they may practice the same giving and giving back. Does that make sense? You see that, that we give, we receive. There are times when you need to receive. And not be filled with pride as that happens. There are other times when you need to give. In church, we need to be faithful in both. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see a big emphasis on love. If you will, flip over there. Turn to the left in your Bibles. I mean, we're in 2 Corinthians, so we'll go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you miss this, if you miss this right here, then what we're talking about with generosity, you miss it all together. You miss it all together. Because although you may give, you may not be giving with a generous heart. And that would be sad as well. You know, that you would give under compulsion or begrudgingly. That's not the focus here when we look at the gospel. See in verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and not of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let me just stop there for a second. If Maybe that would appear to be very noble, very powerful expression. One to say, I will, I will give up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If there's not love in our hearts, we gain nothing. 
Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Beginning of verse 8, love never ends. And I do want to stop there at this time. If we do not have love for one another, then generosity will cease to exist in the church. If, If we don't love one another. You see, it's not enough for us to come and gather together and sing some songs. Whether you like the songs we sing or don't like the songs we sing, you like the tempo, fast, slow, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. If, if, if it's about doing church for you, when you come into this place and there's not love in your hearts, if there's not a connection together, then you will miss it. And you may be missing it right now. Because honest confession before you, there are mornings in which I miss it. When I, when I want to have that heart of generosity, that heart of love, of, of care for the church, and not just seeing this as going through the motions. We must have love in our hearts. And hear how Paul explains this. I mean, for the local church to grasp this, for the church all together to grasp this, how effective can we be if this is our heart? Love is patient and kind. Just the patience and the kindness that we can have towards one another because of the love of Christ that sets us free. Because Christ put himself in poverty so that we could be rich. If we understand this type of love that we possess through Christ, we would be patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. And so we would actually be genuine people. A genuine people that love one another if we're not so interested in about boasting or being jealous of what other people may have. You say, well, I'm not very boastful. You may not verbally be boastful, but in the way that you carry yourself, if you are, if you are hiding things in your life, if you're keeping things secret in your life, if you're keeping Christianity secret in your life, you're being boastful because you're, you're presenting self. You're not presenting Christ. And you won't let people see who you really are because if they saw who you really are, you're afraid that they would no longer want to be around you. And so we have this love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I mean, we, we have enough arrogance and rudeness out among the workplace. But that when we come here, that people would say, man, what, what true, genuine, nice people. Like, notice I said genuine, nice people. Not the fakeness that we can all possess. Everybody know how to be fake? Let's be fake for a second. Everybody put on that fake smile. Let me see it. Let me see it. There it is. See? We know how to do that. Does not insist on its own way. Man, I fight this a lot. Not insist on its own way but that we look to the way in which God is leading us. Because think about this. If we didn't have true love and we all insisted on our own way, how could we ever get anywhere when we're all intersecting one another? I mean, just going through different places. We're all headed in different directions. It is not irritable or resentful. 
that does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, that you find yourself, because you say, why, why are you homing in on this? Because this is getting to the heart and love. And, and if we don't have this, then we don't need to talk about generosity. But do you find yourself rejoicing when others fail? Maybe you felt really good last night because your friend's ball team lost. You know what I'm saying? You want to send them that text message. That's not nice, by the way, to do that, okay? I've been on the other end of that text message several times. It's not nice, you in this room, okay? Because I never do that, all right? So. But you know, it doesn't rejoice in, in wrongdoing. And, and if you find yourself feeling better about you when others fail, there's something terribly wrong in your heart. Terribly wrong. A strong language, terribly wrong in your heart. You ought to break your heart when you see others struggling and failing. Same goes with the local church, from one church to another. We've all seen the cycle go around Valdosta, from one local church to the next local church, who have struggled. Pastors who have acted inappropriately or been treated inappropriately. Churches that have behaved badly, going crazy. Church splits, church ads, every, everything going on. And, and, and if there's something in your heart that rejoices when others struggle, you say, well, hey, good, we're not the only ones. There's something terribly wicked in your heart. That ought to never bring us joy and comfort. That ought to be something in us that goes, what is wrong with me that I feel this way? And that we would get to the root of it and submit that to the Lord. We ought to hurt when others hurt. We ought to take joy when others have joy. When others are growing, we ought to rejoice in that. When others are struggling, we ought to come and offer them support and love and encouragement. This is love. And this is love that the Corinthians had to have for those in Jerusalem. Said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if we have love in our hearts, we will be in a position to where we can truly give. And this generosity encourages this equality which brings us all together. Because there is a responsibility as we give to others and then those who receive to not be lazy with it. To not be lazy. None of us are to be lazy. As a follower of Christ, laziness has no place in our lives. And we all deal with laziness, with slothfulness in some type of way. But it has no place in our lives because we're only here for a short time. This morning, some of you studied in community group and some of you will study tonight about the kingdom on earth that God established in the very beginning and how when man disobeyed God by taking that fruit and eating it, how that was destroyed. But yet there is a new kingdom that is established and this earth will be destroyed and there will be a new earth. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? I talk about this a lot in our community group, but let me just share it with you briefly. Heaven is not you going to a place, being on a cloud with your harp, playing for eternity. Heaven is not a place where you get to be an angel and be a guardian angel over other people. That's idolatry. That whole thinking. That's strong. That's what it is. That's not our purpose. That's not what we've been created to do. No. God didn't fashion us as angels. 
No, we're not the cute little angels, the little Hengeti angels, you know, that you fill in your houses. No, that's not what we're going to be. No, we are being restored and made new. And there will be a day when we're presented before God, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and we will receive a new body and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is where we will live forever. And you will be much more excited about that when the day comes than you are right now. (laughs) You see, it's your perspective. How you're viewing life right now. If you think that this is it, then you're going to hold tight to everything you have. And yet when we give, when we receive it, there can't be laziness among us, church. And then lastly, our generosity provides for the needs of others. Verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. This is referring back to Exodus chapter 16. If you just want to write that, maybe in the column there in your Bible or in your notes, Exodus 16, it would be very good for you to go back and read that account of the manna. Paul gives a faithful reminder. He talks about the the manna which was provided. Told a cheesy joke to my brother-in-law. He didn't laugh, so I'm not going to tell it today. But who ate the first frosted flakes? The Israelites, y'all. What? All right, so, and he's just like, don't tell that. So I just told you why I'm not going to tell that, and then I told it anyway. But there they come out, and there's, there's manna on the ground. And, and God says, collect this. You take it, and the first day, can you imagine the first day when they look out and there's the bread? And it looks like wafers, and and they're kind of unsure of what it's going to taste like, the consistency, and how much they need to collect. But some of them didn't listen, and and they gathered too much. And the next day, it turned into worms and to maggots before they were able to go out and collect again. What God was teaching them, he was saying, day by day by day, I will provide you with the things that you need. You don't need to hoard up all these things. Just trust me, day to day. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to so tighten our checkbooks that we live day to day to day. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're saying, I wish I could be day to day to day. But what it's saying is always relying upon the Lord and being focused on the things that you need, not in all the things that you want. But we're talking about perspective. Imagine this, that the Israelites coming together and they're collecting all of these things, but they're saying, I've, I've got to have all of these things. I've got to have all of this bread. I've, I've got to make sure that I'm covered for the days to come. But see, they're going to a place that's unlike where they presently were when they received the manna. They're going to the promised land where there'll be a land flowing with milk and honey. And not all of them would get there because of their disobedience, but a young generation would be carried into that land. And in the same way, not all who live presently on this earth will be part of the new heaven and the new earth. But those who will be, those who follow Christ, those who are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't need to gather up for ourselves and hoard all of our belongings, but we need to trust in what God provides for us and focus on the needs, not all of our wants. And if you could get to a place where you would be honest before the Lord and say, God, may I measure out my needs compared to my wants? and start eliminating some of these wants so that you can be more generous, there will be more freedom. There will be more freedom, I guarantee you. 
Because stuff just accumulates. It doesn't bring joy. Our stuff doesn't bring the joy that when we're able to show generosity and to give to others and help support others and see the church grow, that's generosity. I'm, I'm telling you, that's a great place to be. And so you don't understand this if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We, we, we totally miss this if we don't have Jesus. And if we do follow Jesus, but we do not have love in our hearts, if we're not growing in Christ, we could miss this today. And so the evaluation for you, do you have love? Do you have Christ? Do you consider generosity as fairness to support one another, to love one another, to instruct one another, to see growth among the church? Let me tell you what's going to change our present situation in our world right now, which if you haven't been paying attention, you need to. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be filled with fear. You need to trust in the Lord. But you need to be aware of what's going on right now. A good government system doesn't change what's happening right now. The only thing that brings about hope and change in a time like right now, as always, is the gospel. That's what brings about change. And we are the messengers. We are the ambassadors to go out and to love and to be generous and to be kind and to minister to those in need. First and foremost, those who need to hear the gospel. Will you be faithful this week, church, in sharing the gospel? Will you be faithful in sharing Jesus with those around you? And will you be faithful to look in your hearts compared to your wants and your needs, and to make sure that you too, as all of us, are being generous in the local church and in other areas to give, that we may see an increase. May we be faithful in our generosity. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And Truly, as we just get to the middle of this series and, and evaluate where our hearts would be, do we find love? Do we want to help others? Do we want to be equal? together? Do we find equality in this place? Father, all these questions that we look at today, I pray that there will be true evaluation in our hearts. It's something for all of us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It instructs us. And Father, I just pray in this room that those who do not know you and follow you at this time, that you would so work in their hearts, that there would be a calling upon you today, following you today. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would do, continue to do a great work among us at this time. And If you're here today and, and you say, man, I like this place. I, I really want to be a part of this local church. I'm very interested. And you can look in the bulletin and you can sign up for the membership class that will be on Wednesday nights in October. You check that out. But maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm hearing this message today and there's a lot that I need to work through. Now, notice we didn't really call out specifics today of your wants and maybe those are just automatic they're automatic on your heart right now in your mind so why don't you submit those before the Lord and begin working through this now and if God so leads you to stand and sing then stand and sing God leads you to if you want to know more about following Jesus I'm going to be standing in the back with some other pastors right in the back why don't you come talk to us at this time okay Father I just ask that you continue to work among us thank you for your word that we have, that we hold in our hands that's so precious to us. May we be a generous, generous people. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are so generous and that you sent your one and only son to die for us, that we could have life through him. We would not be poor, but be rich, and we are rich in Christ. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen.